0: Well, hey, 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 welcome to Frontlines, a program about uh, current issues facing pastors and church planters. My name is Daniel Yang. Uh, I direct the scent Institute, co-host, along with the famous, infamous Peyton Jones, the ministry ninja. And so we're really excited to be on again today to really, again, talk about all the issues that uh, those of us who are leading, whether it's in local church ministry or uh, maybe you're a church planter or you're a pastor, just things that really on the ground level all all of us face especially in the midst of coming out of the pandemic or for some of us you know well i'm in chicago we still feel like we're in full lockdown some days but really working through the issues that are most pertinent to uh leadership at the ground level and uh, today we're really excited i'm going to introduce in just a little bit drew hun but we're really excited to have a conversation around maintaining emotional health during crisis. Obviously, the pandemic has uh, put us all in a very similar situation, but we're going to talk about crisis in general, and how do we actually pay attention to ourselves and our soul care uh, in the way that God meant for us, especially those of us who lead uh, in church. And so, Peyton, I thought it'd be good for, you know, as you know, each episode, we try to connect, you know, with a leader uh, at the ground level. And I thought it might be just, you know, a moment of transparency for you and I to just talk about, man, what's been a time in your life where you maybe hit burnout or you were really close to that and you just, you know, you get to that point where you're just asking all those questions or maybe you don't even have the energy to ask the questions. But what what's one time in your life, if you can think back to when you almost hit burned out, what was the conditions for it? And then how did you walk through that?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to right before I planted a church in a Starbucks, which I would say was my official start in church planting. But prior to that, I'd been church planting or helping other teams, or I did, I did plant another one accidentally, um, but I was in a church in West Wales. Uh, there's a university uh, called Trinity St. David's, which is other than Oxford and Cambridge, the third oldest uh, in the UK and if you've seen the show the crown uh you'll come up in season i think it's two uh where it talks about the welsh nationalism And they send Prince Charles off to a city to uh, learn the Welsh language. And I was 40 minutes south of there at Trinity St. David's um, University town, working as a firefighter, uh, helping the church run a coffee shop across from the university. And everything was going well. I had accidentally planted a church out of that one um, that was reaching the English speaking population. And um, it was growing and people, we were seeing supernatural conversions, um, radical stuff in the Welsh language language group uh, within that church um, got real threatened and the, the leadership split right down the middle. And so I've never experienced burnout from just being overworked. Um, and I think I'm a hard worker, but I think I'm, I'm I could work, work, work. That's my greatest weakness, actually. Where where I have hit burnout has been in times where either emotional pain, so, so when that church uh, drove me out, I went through almost like an emotional collapse where I was done. And I was just, I didn't even want to be in ministry anymore. Um, And then at other times where, you know, my wife and I have been in ministry for decades together. It's where maybe things start, our marriage or family hasn't been priority and we hit a wall. And I could say that um, I'm not giving one example because... Uh, although that one is very typical of emotional pain that I've faced I think that's that's my Achilles heel Um, and, and when uh, my wife and I, we, we've had near misses before where it's like, yeah, is it time to, to, to separate and get, a, get an apartment somewhere? Like, do we, do we need to, 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 to go? We're always in counseling. That's been for decades straight. That's just a survival skill that we've had over all these years that's been our saving grace. But those were some of the more early lessons. I would say that you learn that stuff quick. If you're going to survive and so uh over the last few years it was just i'll put it probably the second half of my ministry it's been a survival skill to say there ain't no ministry worth destroying yourself or your family and now that that's that's a hard learned lesson but yeah going back to that i suppose that that would be my my time or times
0: Yeah, we all we all we also need to do an episode where we just talk about your accidental church plants because I think that would be fascinating for people to learn about as well. Man, I I can relate to that. You know, I think for me, um, it's been multiple seasons where I felt like I was redlining, and the first time that I was experiencing it, you know, I I don't I didn't have the language. I was probably in my late twenties. My wife and I had been married for at ten for ten years already. We got married young; we were nineteen. And then, uh, you know, I was working full-time as an engineer. I was also uh, full-time in seminary and then uh, part-time in ministry um, and uh, assistant pastor. And I remember we were going through the assessment process of becoming a church planter in our late 20s. I was about maybe 28 or 29 and uh, it was in the middle of the assessment process that the assessors actually looked at us and just said, man, you guys are tired. Like your first 10 years, uh, you just ran hard and had very little mentorship. And, um, man, that, that gave us so much permission. and actually named it for us because even though we were still young, I mean, think about that, late 20s, um, You know, we were redlining in ways that were really unhealthy for our marriage. And we we came from an immigrant background where we just thought, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of like you do everything. And, you know, I think maybe even Drew will explain a little bit of that in his own story as well. And um, I think for us, uh, we needed some people to be able to say that, hey, you know, even though you're good at something, does it mean that you should continue to do that because your health is at stake? man that launched us into a three year journey of actually discovering more about our own how, our own personalities how we work you know uh, what gives us energy uh, and then even the physiological aspects of of our bodies i mean it was a, a huge gift from god but I think back, and you know, if had we not paid attention, and if those assessors weren't discerning enough to say that, you know, we think you're a tired ministry couple, even at age 29, I don't think we would have had the permission to really uh, take our foot off and and enter into a new season. And God gave us mentors, and man, it was an amazing journey. So, and that's really, you know, some things that we want to uh, minister to those of you who are on the front lines of ministry today. That's why we've got our good friend Drew Hun uh, on with us today, and Drew is the founding pastor of a network of family of churches called uh, Hope Church. Uh, He pastors the one in Midtown. Uh, He's also the founding um, uh, uh, leader of the um, New City Network. And so we're really excited to have Drew Hun on. Uh, Drew Drew, you and I, we met each other. I'm trying to think back, man. I mean, it was probably in a smoke-filled room somewhere in a bar or somewhere, something like that. Uh, I don't remember. But then I remember also uh, hanging out with you in New York City and you buying me some really awesome Korean food, man. So I'm really excited for you to be on today, brother. And uh, hey, man, can you just share a little bit about you know your ministry, your background before we jump into today's topic?
2: Yeah, no. Um, thanks, guys, for the invitation and just to be with you guys. And Uh, big fan of what you guys are doing and this podcast and show that you guys have been hosting. It's been so helpful for pastors and leaders, um, from really all over. And so, um, yeah. And I, you know, it's interesting because my background, I grew up immigrant kid, Los Angeles, California, um, parents went to church because that's what koreans did it's what immigrants did we needed places to meet other koreans and so went to a large korean church uh, when i was growing up that was largely korean speaking the neighborhood that i grew up in was largely black and brown though so no koreans that i was around except when i went to church and you know what's interesting as we talk about this theme of emotional health is um our church very early on uh i our our church had this massive church split and again it's just immigrant church this big fat faction of basically uh the pastor side and the elder side and the church ended up one week i just remember in late elementary school all of a sudden we're attending a different church with some of the similar people and but it was also a massive church but we were like almost if you can imagine a thousand people were at this new church and again in my elementary you know age mind i didn't know what was happening i was just going to church and seeing some friends and uh, didn't see these other friends that were there. And so um, that church ended up having another massive church. Three years later, that church had another massive church split. Uh, one that was even worse, where there was like this fistfight that broke out between the pastor side and the elder side. Now, keep in mind, this is the second church that had been part of this other church. Were
0: you all Baptists? I mean...
2: <laughs> just Korean, that I don't even know. Okay. All right, And I just... And, and then that church ended up splitting again. And at that time, my father then had gone into uh, vocational ministry. He had switched his career to go into vocational ministry, and he planted a church. And so very early on, so it's interesting, you know, some uh, non-Christians that I speak to, they're like, oh, you're just a Christian because you grew up going to church and stuff. And, uh, and that's why, you know, and I'm like, no, you don't understand the churches that I grew up in, though. <laughs> like, the churches were such poor examples of what it means to live peaceably and to embody forgiveness and kindness and generosity towards one another, and so a lot of the friends that I grew up with, in fact, just kind of shunned the church after that point because we saw such um, such hypocrisy. Now, another part of that story is my father, like I mentioned, he was uh, vocationally he worked in refrigeration, air conditioning, was hustling, doing the immigrant hustle, and basically my dad, uh, while he was doing that, he uh, had become a believer and started attending seminary. And so, we didn't see him for a lot of our childhood um, during this stretch. And it was during the stretch that he was working full-time. He was going to seminary full-time. We just didn't see him around, which we didn't complain about because my dad was, um, you know, came from this war-torn country, which was, you know, Korea at the time, and uh, grew up without his father, who was killed during the, the Korean War. And so, here he was someone that was grew up without a father himself in this war-torn country immigrated to the states encountered all sorts of racism and and absorbed all of this hostility from this new american world that he was a part of and of course he would live peaceably with all of the folks that he worked with but then when he came home it was just he would unleash hell and it was havoc Uh, you know unleash havoc on us my brothers my mom and so my childhood memories like of my father are just like one of just complete fear of him. Uh, he had a violent, violent temper and, uh, and, you know, you can imagine one day he, he said, oh, I'm graduating from seminary. I'm a pastor now. We're going to plant a church. So now all of a sudden I'm in middle school and going into high school and my father's talking about planting a church. And we're just like, holy cow, how in the world are you a pastor? <laughs> like, um, and so a couple of years passed where we're in this church plant with my father, but my father, like our relationship with him, especially growing up, continued to worsen. And, and it wasn't just me. It was with all of my brothers. And my father... Um, ended up after a couple of years, a church plant wasn't taking off and he ends up closing the church. But in kind of the last year of him in this church plant, he actually wrote a book. And the book became, uh, overnight in Korea, the book became a bestseller in Korea. And the topic of the book that he wrote that became this bestseller was how to raise a family. And so my dad, now all of a sudden, he's closed the church down and he becomes this, korean christian celebrity like now he's getting invitations to speak at the largest mega churches in korea and wherever there are pockets of korean right where uh, you know all over the world whether it's in south america and argentina and brazil he's like traveling anywhere there's koreans who are inviting him to speak about how to raise up the next generation but meanwhile my relationship along with my brothers it's never fully healed with my father he's still um living out you know, he, he's teaching very publicly about these topics, about how to raise Christian children, especially in a Korean immigrant household, all this stuff. And um, meanwhile, my brothers and I are seething and hurt and angry. And, um, and that's kind of the background that, I, and again, people say, Oh, you, you, it's because your parents are Christian. That's why you're a Christian. I'm like, no, you, you don't understand. Like, the Christianity that I grew up with, there was such a significant disconnect between one's public life and one's private life. And what was even crazier about it was the church that I was a part of, that was this immigrant church, it was growing and expanding. They were buying property, had massive gatherings. My father was this supernova of a Korean Christian celebrity. His um, his books began to sell. He started to author books like one every year and they would become bestsellers in Korea. And now he was like an itinerant minister preacher who had started his own organization was no longer a pastor of a church and, in the Korean honorific culture. He was so honored and venerated. And so for me then growing up, there was, just this massive disconnect between one's public life and public persona and their private life. And I I think honestly, it was one of the hurdles for me of um, first a crisis of faith. I remember in college just asking myself, "Do, do I really want to follow this When What I've experienced from Christians and from the church seems so diametrically opposed to the person of Jesus. And it was actually the passage where, You know, where Jesus basically says to Peter, um, you know, you can go to, and Peter basically says, to whom shall I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I just remember in college, just coming to this realization like, God, I just, you know, with all the pain and the hurt and the underbelly of christian celebrity or whatever else like i just i just believe in you and i want to follow you jesus and so it's kind of with that background then that um i ended up actually through all sorts of circumstances i ended up in new york city uh, doing an internship at a church called New Life Fellowship. And the internship was really about um, getting immersed in urban ministry. Now, back in the early 2000s, this was 2001, back in the early 2000s, the only people that were moving to New York, you know, New York wasn't this cool, hip, cultural center. It was basically the hood. Like, if you were moving to New York, you wanted to do ministry in the hood. That's what urban ministry was about. You know, the the heroes and the pioneers of urban ministry back in those days were not like Tim Keller. and It was basically John Perkins and CCDA and that World. And so I was coming to New Life Fellowship basically to learn how to minister to the immigrant poor of uh new york city and um and so i come in as an intern at this church called new life which is this incredibly diverse church and this guy named pete scazzaro who's the founder of the church he had just he had gone through his own crisis and his own like internal development and as an intern he's just he's dropping this manuscript in front of us as interns and he's basically like i'm writing this book it's called the emotionally healthy church i would love to hear what you think And uh, so you can imagine, I'm reading this manuscript where a pastor is being so honest about his own journey. And if you've ever read the book. How
0: old old were you at the time, Drew? I was 21
2: years old, graduated from college.
0: You were still pretty young.
2: Yeah. And uh, sorry if I'm talking so long about this story, but like just the providence of God and all of this is gold brother. Don't hold it back. What was happening. Yeah. So Pete, he, he throws this manuscript in front and like, he's having us do these exercises. And I'm just like, what is, what does this have to do? Like I, I'm here to learn how to minister to the poor and how to build a great church and evangelize. And he's like, Um, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to explore issues of, you know, generations that go back. And here's a scriptural background for this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw a picture from your childhood at the age of seven. And I'm like, what What are you talking about? Like, what is this? And uh, little did I know that that year and the next 10 years, um, when I was on staff with Pete at New Life would become Deeply formative for me. Um, And it would forever change the direct trajectory of my own faith journey. And um, in many ways, I was being reformed into what does it look like to do a discipleship that goes beneath the surface, that goes beyond simply the platitudes of church growth and being able to preach and being able to evangelize. But how do I begin to to really um, allow God into those spaces where my public and private life? are not so disconnected, but begin to meld and can become one and the same. And, um, you know, it, it's not like through those 10 years and even after those 10 years, and now that we're on this church planning journey, it's not like proof I've come out and I'm like, Oh, look at me. I'm Mr. Emotional health. Um, I mean, Daniel would know, I mean, uh, you know, it, anyone that knows me well would know that the, the church planning journey, the leadership journey, all of this has been an incredible struggle. And, Maintaining a healthy spirituality is um, one of my life's aims as I'm in this journey of mission, which is what we're all about, which is what Exponential is all about, but um, how do I do it without losing my soul? How How do I do it Well, not only having just a marriage that's just surviving, but how do I do it with a marriage that's thriving and a family life that's thriving and I think those are the questions that I um, have been burdened with, and I'm so indebted to Pete and Jerry Scazzaro, who invested so deeply into me over 10 years. Me even going through, even while I'm at the Emotional Healthy Church, going through my own seasons of burnout, going through my own seasons of depression, going through my own seasons of um reactivity and unhealthy leadership and um their mentorship and guidance has really led me to where i am um where again not to say that i'm the paragon of emotional health but i'm i'm hopefully i'm emotionally healthy enough to realize that i'm not emotionally healthy (laughs) and at least when i realize that then there's just a posture of humility where um And and I think that's the beginning point of emotional health is, is there a posture of humility to realize like, wow, I need to to continue to key in on this, lest my own soul, my own heart, my own family, like things begin to disintegrate um, over time. Uh, so anyhow, I, I can't remember what the original question was, but that's a little bit of my own journey. And now looking back at the providence of God, I realize it's that public private difference that really makes a difference for me. So, yeah, that's awesome.
1: You know, the, um, I I would imagine it's kind of like when, when you tell somebody like, Oh, I'm a psychiatrist, or I'm a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Everybody freaks out, right? Like nobody wants to talk to that guy at the party, right? Yeah. They just feel like he's he's boring into their soul. Mm-hmm. Um, I could imagine going to the emotionally healthy church, you know, or serving uh, on staff there. You 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 gotta you gotta you gotta be on your game, right? Because. Everybody knows, you know, everybody's like, oh, oh, that, you know, tell me about that, Pete, you know. Um, but but here's the thing. Um, the last 10 months mm-hmm. haven't been good for anybody, really. Yep. I mean, that, it hasn't been easy for anybody emotionally. So uh, on a personal level, Drew, to kind of continue your story, um, w- what's what's the last 10 months been like for you and how have you survived?
2: Yeah, I would say... I think in many ways the pandemic it's and especially what it's done for not only every industry and where um, um, whether it's pastors or, you know, business people, whatever industry that one might be in. Um, my uh, fellow pastor at our church named Sarah Bourne, she wrote this uh, poem called um, uh, I forgot what the poems called, but it's basically about how the, this pandemic, what it's done is it's revealed um it's basically revealed all the hidden idols and it's basically brought to the fore all. If if I was struggling with emotional health before it simply accelerated and accentuated it much further. Um, If I was struggling with the idol of success, when it comes to ministry, it just basically reshifted that idol. And, you know, then my own self-worth and all that stuff became even more tied in to what the latest statistics were. And so I think for me, like, I think the starting point for me has first that humility of recognition of like, I know that I have these gaps with my own emotional health. And unless I am overcompensating in terms of tending to my own emotional unhealth, then I know that I'm going to unravel very easily in these 10 months. And I think the last time on I, that I was with you, I had mentioned that um, Tim Keller was sharing about his memories of 9-11 and how he realized that the effects on ministers at 9-11 didn't necessarily happen um, immediately following 9-11 or even a year after a or year or two. He said it's, it was in year three and four where people were feeling the after effects and where they were so... Um, burnt out by the experiences of 9-11 and the immediate aftermath in the year or two after that, that it was in year three, four, and five that pastors started burning out. There was moral failure. In other words, like three to five years later is when people were starting to see the after effects of not tending to their souls in what became an excruciatingly difficult time. And so being mindful of that early on in the pandemic, for us, it's been like, how do we, how do I, how do I position my own heart and my own life and our our own family in such a manner where I'm thinking about the long game? I'm not basically, and I think that the, the temptation, especially early on in the pandemic was... This is the season where we have to do more. We have to step up uh, as a church and we have to step in. And of course, that, that prophetic call and that challenge was given to people. But um, I know that the charge that we gave to our church and the charge that we gave to our, st- our staff and our pastors was hey, guys, like, we're in this for the long haul and we need to set up rhythms right now so that and start to redefine things as it relates to how do we define success? Um, What does it look like for us to be effective in this season? And what can and can't we do according to our own God-given limits that God has given to us? And so that reshifting of kind of our mindset was not let's do more. Let's see how much we can reach digitally, but it was more so how can I stay spiritually vibrant in the midst of this pandemic so that three to five years from now, I'm in a place and a position of thriving. And so for me, it's been, uh, it's been that, uh, the intentional constant monitoring of what's happening to my own soul and making shifts and adjustments along the way. Um, so I think one example, yeah, go go for
0: it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I pulled up Sarah's poem, and I mean, it's just, it's powerful, and I think uh, Brooks is dropping it in the chat there, and, uh, and maybe you were just getting ready to get into it, but she asked some really powerful questions here that I'm, because I, I know that you all have been through quite a struggle in terms of people moving out of the city, mm-hmm. um, issues with buildings, I mean, you know, where... Those of us who live, you know in in not as a dense environment uh, in New York City, we may not understand like how how hard these kinds of things hit you. Uh, you know, I saw our mutual friend Michael Carrion uh, you know three weeks ago, their building that they had mm-hmm. just opened, you know, caught on fire uh, in an urban context. Like these have compiling or compounding effects. how How did you walk through that specifically with people leaving? the city, moving out of the city, and then uh, issues with the building.
2: Yeah. I mean, I cried. I cried a lot. And I, I made it a point to meet up with trusted friends over Zoom, you know, and um, and I made it a point to to share in our sorrows together. I, I made it a point to just grieve. And without many answers. and um, yeah, and, and at the same time get back to those rhythms that have kept me sane, Sabbath keeping, um, taking copious amounts of time off with our family, and realizing to myself and it, I mean, this was a phrase that I still use to this day um, because I am someone who I, I can towards perfectionism and wanting to get everything done and uh but a phrase that i've constantly used is we're in the middle of a global pandemic (laughs) and i know that sounds so silly but like i just i just need to be able to tell myself that like if i'm frustrated with how things are going you know what we're in the middle of a global pandemic you know there's a part of me that's like oh i've got all this time at home i should spend time writing and finishing these projects or whatever else and i'm like wait a minute like we're in the middle of a global pandemic And, um, uh, you know, a big part for me has just been trying to define reality and grieve that reality and not trying to play hero ball and try to do too much. Um, uh, I think the gift of limits has been paramount for me in this season to not try to, yeah, you know, I I don't know if you guys like to play ball, but, like, yeah, like, you know, when I know that my game – whenever I try to play hero ball teammates don't like it and I'm not very effective at it. You know, there's very few people who can play hero ball in an effective way. And I just, I'm, I I just, yeah. So, and I just realized like, I just need to understand my limits and do what I can and continue to realize and have our team realize we're in the middle of a global pandemic. It's okay. Like, it's okay. As people are leaving in this accelerated fashion, like it's okay. We want to be a people of Buddha and not of cursing, you know? So, um, not that that was the impulse to curse, but, um,
1: yeah. I love it, man. I, I I love that reminder. We're in the midst of a global. We don't, you know, I, I, I remember one of the times I didn't mention was, um, for, for us with burnout, um, my wife and I went through infertility. Mm. And I still to this day look back and think I was the most clueless human being on the planet. Mm. Like I didn't even factor that in to, to my relationship. My wife will tell you, you know, it was like I had no clue what she was going through. Mm. Um, you know, and sometimes you, it's kind of like you got to wake up to where you're at, the circumstance you're in. Um, and that kind of, leads into my next question, which I think a lot of times when you're heading to burnout, right, there's that sense in which it's like driving a car. I think Kerry Newhoff talks about it, you know, didn't see it coming Mm -hmm. when he just suddenly was driving along and found himself airborne as he drove off a cliff. And, you know, I I, I guess one of the the questions that I would have for the listeners today, they're probably wondering, what are the warning signs? Like, I, I may not be aware of where I'm at. Like, I don't want to be the guy that wakes up with the car upside down and on fire and me strapped in and needing a firefighter to cut me out of this thing with the jaws of life. How am I going to, how am I going to avoid the cliff? So I guess if we're looking at a, at a car illustration or metaphor, what are warning signs, uh, on the journey to burnout? What, what is it that people listening today that are tuning in, what should they be looking out for as symptoms of
2: encroaching burnout? Hmm. i would i would say i think the people closest to us like our spouse and our children are probably the the most important indicators if we can get them to be honest to us about what they're seeing so i think that's number one i, I mean i would actually say i mean i don't i think the statistics are bearing themselves out whether it's from barna or from other researchers like let's just say that every single one of us right now in this season, I would just use it as a default. Like we are teetering towards burnout, exhaustion, mental health issues. Like, I, I don't um, And if someone says they're doing well, I think even then, I just think if we can go from a default of saying like, Hey, things are going down because again, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Like, this is not supposed to be easy. None of us are supposed to be able to thrive in this. And so, therefore, if I start from that starting point, then, like, I know um, that I can be extra intentional about the growing fits of rage, that the outbursts of rage that I have in my family, um, the extended surfing on the web that I'm doing that leads me to click on, you know, this link or that that link um like there's all these subtle things um that because we're in the middle of a global pandemic i think can be revealing um I know for me, there was a book uh, by Archibald Hart, who is one of kind of the fathers of Christian psychology and stuff. And uh, I remember reading this book called Unmasking Male Depression. And he was talking about how irritability, there were all these little signs uh, for male depression that are different. You know, people think that being depressed is just being, you know, sulking one's shoulders and being really sad. But um, he talked about how in male depression, there's um, anger, irritability, and lack of sleep and there were all these clues that for me i was like holy cow like these these are showing themselves for me i was very reactive i was much more irritable um so i mean like it's funny because i'm doing this you know interview today last night my wife and i got into an argument um and like and it was just it was one of those clarifying arguments where like afterwards like we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, we're not, we're not doing so great. You know, like we, we need, we need to, this is enough of a warning sign where we need to figure this out, you know? And so we huddled up again this morning to talk about it. Like, what are some steps that we can take uh, this Lent? And some of the things I realized was, um, I mean, aside from the, the personal issues between my wife and I, that we're now trying to work through in our own relationship, um, Like I realized that um, social media of late has caused me to covet more and um, has left me feeling a little bit depressed. And so I realized I just need to... I, I need to get off of social media even more, you know, and a part of me, like it was counterintuitive because during the pandemic, I'm like, no, we, I have to be on social media because I have to minister to, you know, but I could see my own mental and emotional health going in a certain way that uh, where it was now starting to affect. And, and that's just one small little sign of like the larger issue of that argument that my wife and I had that now we're trying to realize like, wow, um, I, I probably need to go out, uh, you know, early, in the summertime, I was bike riding and going out um, and taking our kids out to play out in the city, but we moved to a different area where there's not as many parks. And so I just don't go outdoors as much. And so there's all these little clues that have kind of added up to this bigger picture of like, um, yeah, uh, I, you know, seemingly the, the argument that my wife and I had was over this, small little thing and it became this big issue. And then as we were peeling back the layers of it, trying to get this three-dimensional look, we were like, wow, I think um, I need to touch base again with my counselor about this. I need to share about some of the grief that I'm feeling around um, some of the staff departures that we've had, staff transitions that we've had over this past year. Um, I need to talk to my counselor as well about the anxieties that I'm feeling about filling some of those departures. Um, and I realize like there's this real feeling of lack of control. That's kind of got me with this low grade feeling of depression. So like now I'm just journaling and trying to do my best Um Just to take an inventory of everything that's happening inside of me, you know, and I realized, though, that this the the inventory taking is something that I've been doing regularly throughout this pandemic. And the moment I realized that I'm like, you know what? I'm crushing this. You know, I realize every time that happens, like there's just this little reminder where I'll get super annoyed, overly annoyed about something, or I'll act really immature in a meeting with our elder board where I'll feel like, Oh, you guys aren't supportive. And you know, they can feel some of that immaturity coming out of me. Like, um, and for me, it's about taking quick and often and thorough inventories of what's happening in my own soul. Mm.
0: Drew, I mean, I, I just want to thank you for being transparent. Uh, you know, I mean, I, and I, I, this is exactly, you know, the the kind of thing that I, we think will help uh, our listeners because it's not so much about like pointing them to to the resources that are out there, although there's a lot of good resources. You've named a few already. But even just modeling on this call right now, um, you know, your transparency, I think that's helpful to everybody. If you guys have questions for Drew, uh, go ahead and drop them in the chat and uh, we'll try our best to get as uh, many of them answered. By Drew Drew, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to unpack a little bit more especially that that Archibald Hart book is just tremendous man I so much of what we go through in burnout or you know in seasons of long sustained uh, leadership in crisis like it's it's you you learn so much about yourself and I remember when I read that book uh, this is probably about uh, maybe eight or nine years ago and he talked about what you just said he said that culturally uh, in America men we tend to act out our depression Either through anger, uh, through workaholism, or uh, you know, sexual impropriety, porn, or, or affairs, or stuff like that. And uh, he gives some helpful chapters as to you know how to keep accountable in those kinds of things. Um, and I I love to you know this. You don't have to share your steps, but you know there have been some things that have happened in the last six months. You know, uh, pastors in New York City. You know, uh, you know, well-known global. Uh, you know, uh, Christian leaders that we are seeing their ministries exposed very much like S- Sarah's poem. Um, I've had probably at least half a dozen a conversation with pastors and ministers where they're kind of like, "Man, what does this mean for us in this season?" You know, mm-hmm. that personal question of like, "Okay, am I going to survive? Like, am I am I going to make it like?" you know, what do I do about like my own struggles? Uh, How do I keep from being like others? You know, maybe there's kind of that fear-based reaction. And then there are those that are genuinely trying to say, you know, we need to change the culture of American evangelicalism, or at least, you know, what you talked about with your father, the Christian celebritism. Uh, Like, we need to change that culture. Um, I'd love to just dig deep into, like, how are you processing some of these things? What are some steps that you're seeing that are encouraging, maybe not just with you, but, you know, uh, maybe things that you're seeing that our listeners can pick up on? uh, Because I do think... That there is a bit of reckoning almost uh, mm-hmm. in the midst of this past year. I don't know what it is like. I it's just, you know, I think when Darren Patrick died back in May, uh, that shook a lot of us. I think a lot of us were asking some really uh, big questions about, you know, how do we recover from ministry? Those kinds of things. And so, um, what are some of the things that you're seeing that could be an opportunity for leadership in the church in America right now that we shouldn't ignore?
1: yeah you you hit on you know the fast growing um numbers thing i think i think what numbers tends to do in america we americans always think bigger is better right that's that's our thing Um, so somehow we equate that there's this big important thing oh if you're reaching millions of people or thousands of people your ministry is so important the show must go on Mm-hmm. regardless of if the actors dying or whatever you know and uh, and you know take the word actor how you want right because the reality is that, that that's what we've seen in some cases is there's definitely been a, a sense of hypocrisy or false-facedness and i think where the deception comes in is we start thinking well the world needs mm-hmm. that ministry that that obviously because so many people ran to it and yet perhaps what the world really needed was for, for these leaders to just say, you know what, I either need to quit the ministry, mm-hmm. or get help, or maybe both. Yeah, because I think, you know, what the world doesn't need to see more of what the world doesn't need is more big ministries with leaders who are doing unmentionable things. What the world needs is maybe that leader working at Home Depot, but True to himself, true to his family, and and true to the people around him, you know, mm-hmm. um, and just glorifying Christ that way. I think the world needs a ton more of those, mm-hmm. you know, than than it does the big big because somehow we've made an idol out of size, and um, you know the 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 whole thing. I'll I'll just say for me personally, when I started ministry, I started the back way. Um, where I, I was the assistant and then interim pastor of a mega church in Huntington Beach, California. And I was just getting married at that time. And I was on my honeymoon on a beach in Barbados. And I was walking on the beach early one morning. And the Lord just prophetically spoke to me. This is like a miracle. This saved my life because I would not be here in ministry today. I know for a fact, if God hadn't prophetically spoken to me, you're not the dude. And it was like they were going to vote on five different dudes, and I was a shoe in right? But my preaching gift far excelled my character. I don't mean like I was in gross sin. I just wasn't mature enough. I was yeah. 23 years old. Wow. And it was in my denomination. That's how we did. It was Calvary Chapel. It was a bunch of hippies. But the guy before me, you know, had to step down due to moral failure. I'm sure I wouldn't have made it either, mm. you know. But, but over the years, I just... I think somehow we have this misunderstanding that the world needs this ministry, mm-hmm. and, it, and it doesn't. It just, it, it means, I mean, even Jesus, looking at Jesus, right? I, I'll stop talking, but I look at Jesus' response to crowds, mm. and he gets 5,000 people. It's a big day. The disciples are all excited, and he just goes, i got to make these people leave.
0: Mm.
1: This isn't what Jerusalem needs, this is what Israel needs you know he tells him go home he heals people knowing it's going to cause a big stir and he he tells him don't tell anybody about this it's just between me you and god like i think the world needs more of that like an authentic down-to-earth grassroots i'm just here to glorify jesus man i ain't in this for anything else <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that
2: man i think that's right on yeah i mean yeah, I don't, I don't have much to add to that. I think that's good.
1: <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I was given more of an
0: observation than a question. Guys, keep your questions coming in. <laughs> Daniel? Yeah, Drew, Drew, I want to come back because that's so good. And I think a part of that, I mean, you think about what Jesus constantly reminded his disciples, he, you know, it was his relationship with the Father. I can, I can only say what the Father tells me to say. I can only do what I see the Father doing. It was this intense relationship that he had with the Father, that pleasure, that pleasure, that i think kept him from craving power you know because i mean I, I believe that jesus you know operated his entire ministry in his human strength uh, never opted for the you know for the divine uh, you know w- which he could have done and he did it with his own strength and you have to think that it was sustained because of his relationship with the father and maybe drew as we're getting ready to wrap up here i want to come back to uh, something that you started out with uh, and something that i think for most of us if we don't figure this out in our 40s and maybe 50s, um, then it becomes harder with with age, and that's like family of origin issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give us, you know... What are some basic things? Because, yeah, again, somebody, some of us, we may have been ministry for 20 years, and this pandemic uncorked something, and we know there's just there's something wrong. Like, we just know there's something wrong, and we're getting at it. And church growth is a little bit of it, but we know that it's less about the external cultural pressures. It's about our upbringing. It's about our experience. It's about that insatiable desire, especially for those of us who are a little bit more driven. If you're an Enneagram type 3 or, or something like that, or an 8 or something like that, you might be a little bit driven. But... What is it about family of origin issues that maybe uh, right now is a good time for us to begin at least processing? If we can't deal with it directly, how can we process these things? I know that's a big question, but I I wanted to to end with it because I think you kind of started out with it. And it sounds like there are some things that you went through that could be helpful to people.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. And it's something that I'm continually going through. So, you know, we have a phrase that we use at Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it's, um, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. And so, whenever, so, and because of that reality, we're constantly wrestling with how is my family of origin um, impacting the way that I think or feel about what's happening. And so... Uh, so part of our discipleship courses you know and i love Peyton how you're talking about how discipleship really how jesus you know shoes the crowd uh, and goes towards discipleship and and the few and i think for us our discipleship pathway in, in, involves emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships both of those courses have a full chapter related to dealing with our family of origin <laughs> And one of the chapters, one of the weeks for the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course is basically doing one's genogram, which is uh, a look at one's own family history and some of the family commandments that we have been more shaped by than perhaps the commandments of God or the ways of Jesus. And so I would actually recommend there's a resource online at mostlyhealthy.org. There's a resource about how you can actually go through a genogram with your team as well. And I would highly recommend for people to do that. Um, I also want to, you know, Peyton, kind of what you shared earlier, I guess if I can give this closing thought, I realize the metrics of success are often not the metrics of success that God has for me, but instead what the world has for me or what my family of origin has for me. And I need to redefine those metrics so that my metric of success is number one, do I have a vibrant, you know, abiding walk with Jesus? You know, number two, do I have a family life and a wife who enjoys being around me, (laughs) you know, and children who we delight in each other? And even in the midst of this pandemic, we are, it's full of life and joy and and grace. So anyhow, I just thought I'd share that story because it was, it was interesting how Pete was prophetic about it in terms of, um, and again, it's nothing against Hillsong because we could replace Hillsong with whoever else, right? It was just more so when Pete saw that this young pastor was wrestling with like, wow, I'm being compared now to Hillsong down the street, like he was just basically saying like, Yo that's the that's the wilderness. Like that or that's a temp, that's the temptation in the wilderness. Like you need to run far from that. And um and I think many of us probably need those same words. Um yeah. In this season.
0: Yeah. That's good man. I, I think that I mean even having this conversation I'm I'm hoping and praying that that kind of loosens and, and and binds, you know, certain uh uh, beliefs that we have about our ministries so that we we can you know say no to those wilderness temptations because I think I'm in absolute agreement with you. It's not about like a, a hill song or any one particular church. This is the day in day out temptation that every minister experiences. Um, and I think if people don't give us permission to say no to those things, mm-hmm. or if they don't exhort us, if, if you're not being exhorted on a regular basis by people who are seasoned in ministry of how to say no to these temptations, one day, you know, we're, we, you, you'll give in, you know, it, it'll just be a matter of time and not... Uh, Uh, whether or not it'll happen. One of those things, and we'll we'll end with this last thought, Drew, because I think it's a really practical question from uh, our listeners, is um, when you're in the season when there's a lot of things going on, maybe in just a minute, uh, how do you you begin to let go of, what are the practical things that you do uh, to let go of the things that you can't control, maybe things that you just know that, you know, that's too much for my plate? Uh, What's your discernment process for those kinds of things?
2: Uh, Well, I think what's great is Sabbath keeping. And the reason why is because Sabbath is actually a weekly reminder that I am not God, and that God still delights in me. And so number one, I am not God. So I realize like, I don't, I don't have to have all this figured out. I don't have to be in control. And so much so that I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to enjoy life and receive it as a gift from God. And then hopefully what it does is it brings me a healthy level of detachment from whatever that issue is that I want so much control over. Um, Well, it's kind of funny because one of our pastors, uh, I texted him on like Saturday morning and um, I was like, hey, so what's the update on this? And Saturday's usually when all of us Sabbath together from Friday night to Saturday night. And he responded to me and he was like, Drew, I want you to know, I saw this text, but I'm not going to respond to it until after my Sabbath. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, ah, Arr! you know, and, uh, and it was, you know, because I was so anxious and agitated about, you know, this uh, transition or whatever. And, and then it just was this reminder. And I had switched my Sabbath that day, so it was anyhow, and I explained that to him, but anyhow. But it was just one of those, rem- I was like, wow, I want to be a part of a culture like this where mm-hmm. the Sabbath is a weekly reminder that I'm not in control, and that's okay. Um, And if I can just spend the time being more rooted and basking in the love of God, um, then hopefully I can have a healthy detachment from some of the decision-making. I realize that I've made so many decisions out of striving and wanting to take control, and that's why I love the practice of Sabbath-keeping, which is a 24-hour period by which I'm going to stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. And, uh, and so even the, during the pandemic, that's what we've done. We always have a pizza meal cause my son loves pizza. We light a candle. We share prayers of blessing over one another. We give them some chocolate so that they have positive, uh, reinforcements of what Sabbath is. <laughs> and then we spend a day where we basically rest. We play, you know, uh, Eugene Peterson calls it pray and play. So
0: yeah. love yeah. it, man. Hey Drew, uh, really appreciate you just for literally just for who you are, and then we're we're praying for your ministry and the work that Hope uh, Hope City and and all your churches are doing there in such a great city. So man, God bless you. Thanks for for being on with Peyton and I today. So. Uh, Man, and thank you for all of you uh, listening in and watching with us or uh, or watching on the replay. Sorry we didn't get to every question, but there's so much here. I want to definitely encourage you to go to EmotionallyHealthy.org. Some of the things that Drew talked about are there. But also, there's a a fantastic way that you can mobilize more people in your church and your network this spring, specifically through our Exponential Roundtables. And not only can you participate, but you can also be a host. Here are some of the topics that we have here from becoming a Level 5 multiplying church, to being a hero maker. Uh, this is not about uh, growing your church. This is about being a conduit for other people to do the things that God's uh, called them to do. That's really the heart of multiplication. So you can go to multiplication.org slash host and learn more about that. Hey, thanks for joining us for Front today on behalf of Peyton Jones, uh, co-host, and thank you, Drew Hun, our guest. Uh, we want to say thank you for being here. We'll see you in two weeks. God bless you.